Hey, good morning, Gretna family. Happy Easter. Christ has risen. The Lord has risen today, as Charles Wesley says. Sons of men and angels say, raise your joys and triumphs high. Sing ye heavens and earth reply. Thank you for joining us for our Easter celebration. And it is a celebration. It's a celebration of our risen Lord, Jesus Christ. If you were one of the disciples uh, at, at this time, this would have capped for you a rather crazy week, right? This roller coaster kind of week where, you know, you watched your Lord and Savior come in just a week ago with something we call the triumphant entry as people laid down palm branches and cheered for him, Hosanna, Hosanna, this cry of, of victory and thanksgiving, thousands of people, only to see him, you know, then be betrayed by those who are closest to him just a few days later, and finally on Friday to be, to be hung on a cross and, and to say those words that those of us who follow him believe so wholeheartedly it is finished, that he has made all things right between us and God. And even on this morning, resurrection morning, the morning that he returns from the dead, that he death brings life, where it's discovered by Mary Magdalene and soon others that his tomb is empty. Even this morning, I'm sure, was filled with confusion as part of this, this roller coaster they've been on. It isn't what they expected. We looked in, if you were with us this morning earlier at our sunrise service, we looked at John chapter 20 and we we talked about how Mary Magdalene came to prepare his body for permanent burial only to find the stone missing and him gone. And so she runs. She runs to Peter and she runs to John and grabs them and pulls them and they come back over and they too see it and go, holy cow, right? And they believe to run and tell others and, and Mary sits and cries and says, where, where have you taken my Lord? See, she doesn't even still is so confused. She doesn't realize what she's seen. And Jesus finally just says one simple word from behind her, just says, Mary. And she knows she turns around and then sees him and becomes and runs back to the disciples again and becomes what is really the first evangelist, the first person to spread the gospel. As she says, I have seen the Lord, she says in John 20, verse 18, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he had said to her. It is this moment and what it means for humanity that we celebrate today. I have seen the Lord resurrected, resurrected, death defeated. He is risen. To do that this week, we're going to look at the book of 1 Peter. It's a few years after this, but I think it has a, a lot to say or a lot for us to glean because, number one, as I just said, Peter was one of the first to recognize that the Lord was gone. And he was also one of the first to know that the Lord was risen. One of Peter's first experiences with the risen Lord was to be restored unto him, to be restored to his kingdom. Because if you know the story, he denied Jesus three times as Jesus predicted. 
And yet Jesus takes the opportunity to make him again part of his kingdom, proving yet again that we serve a God that desires to restore us and a God of second chances. But Peter, as he's writing in 1 Peter, one of the first witnesses, right? One of the closest to the Lord is describing to the church probably 50 years later not just what he saw, but what it means, what it's about, why this resurrection matters, and why it's something that they need to recall, that they need to lean into, and they need to embrace with all of who they are. So we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 9 today. We're going to do verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to talk about verses 3 through 9. So read with me. I'm going to read out of the Christian Standard Bible. It says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen living as exiles dispersed abroad on, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. As Peter writes, he's writing to what is really a suffering church when he says the dispersed abroad. And there's actually a word for that, the diaspora, meaning the people of God, the scattered ones that are scattered throughout Asia. He's recognizing that the reality of this one group together kind of just changing everything and never facing difficulty or challenge isn't realistic and isn't the reality. And I think we as the church today know that. We know that even though we all serve a, resu a resurrected Lord, there is a reality that, that life is not peaches and cream, right? It doesn't suddenly get easy because we chose to follow God. In fact, it may push us to the fringes of society in some ways because it calls us to be different than everyone else. It calls us to all change kind of what we think and what we feel based on the fact that we know our Savior died for us and we know that coming to him brings life. It's a, it's a message that not everyone wants to hear and sometimes it's a message that, that we don't fully embrace and understand as they're doing here. But it is a message that needs to be told over and over and over again. And even... As they face these challenges, though, Peter reminds them that they are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, that God has made them and stated they will be valuable and are valuable to him, that they are important to him and they are important to the mission that he has laid out for them, even in the midst of these challenges. Peter also in this section speaks of the Trinity, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? He speaks of God's foresight, reminding the people of God here that God is going ahead of you, that he is walking along with you, that he knows where you're headed, that he has laid out the path, that he knows what you're going to experience, and he will be with you the whole way. He reminds us of Jesus' sacrifice that redeemed them, that sprinkling of the blood of Christ that washes them clean of all of their sins, that they have an opportunity to be renewed and reborn to start over because of Jesus and they and he speaks of the holy spirit the sanctifying transforming work that even as the tornado swirls around them 
They are able to stand in the center and recognize that God is guiding and God is control, in control. And so Peter continues. He says in verses three through five, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because of his great mercy, his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter. So Peter, as he's writing this even decades later, is still just absolutely blown away by what he saw at the tomb that day. He is blown away by what he saw in the, in the risen Christ in the days that followed. He is blown away by the mercy of a God that would send his son and sacrifice so much for the sake of those he loved and for the sake of those who were honestly openly rebelling against him. He would show so much mercy is still mind-boggling to Peter. Charles Spurgeon would later describe God's mercy. And he would say, God's mercy is so great that you may sooner drain the sea of its water or deprive the sun of its life or make space too narrow than to diminish the great mercy of God. It is a mercy that creates the greatest gifts that one could ever be given. Those are the gifts of salvation and resurrection. Because remember, Jesus's resurrection is a promise of things to come for those who follow him. It is to truthfully bring the dead to life. At the tomb, I can only imagine, again, if we go back to that, Mary and, and the others just going, what is going on here, right? Who raises themselves from the dead? <laughs> that stands in contrast to anything else we know, unless you've been watching too many vampire movies. <laughs> anything else we know to be true, right? You don't do that. Nobody can do that except God, right? But that, that's still, that's one of the hardest things for anyone who's coming to know Jesus to wrap their heads around. I think sometimes those who grew up in the church kind of, I guess, just take it as a given, right? That Jesus died on a cross and was raised. Um, but for those of us who didn't, grow up at going to church. I grow up with a real in a relationship with Jesus. Just the idea that the dead could be brought to life is is so contrary to everything else we base our life choices on. We assume you have one life and YOLO, right? You only live once, do everything you can with this. And we make our decisions based on that. We also make our decisions based on a fear of this imminent death. And so the notion of the dead being brought to life, not just temporarily, but eternally, is a really hard thing to wrap our minds around. And I think if you've been a follower of Christ for a time, or you're up in the church, you have to remember that. The resurrection of Jesus is an exceptional event. It is a powerful event. It is an amazing, incredible, unequaled event. And it is not an event that we should ever take for granted that others understand because they probably don't. 
Even today, I, I think we still struggle to comprehend the magnitude of what Peter's describing here. He's describing a new birth. That's, that means to, to lay aside everything of the old and get, be given a completely new second chance. All of your sins are gone. All of your mistakes are history. All of the things that you've done that would pull you away from God or that are contrary to God's will or that are just flat defiant of God are written off they are covered. They are washed away. It's gone. And just the idea of giving up on that, giving up on changing the past, right? Because that's, that's where guilt comes from. The idea that we could possibly go back and do something differently is it's broken, but we still feel it. When a new birth eliminates that past, and gives us an opportunity to build a completely new future. But this, and this new birth is into a, a living hope, a living and alive hope, a hope that comes through a living and alive Savior, that is Jesus Christ. Emily Dickinson would say, hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words, and it never stops at all. It is, it is something that the world so desperately needs and it so importantly only comes in one place and that is through the Savior. If you are without hope, he is the source of your hope. He is a living and alive hope that is constantly moving, constantly shaken, and constantly drawing us to him if only we're watching. It is a, a living hope that is dependent upon God and that honestly renews us every day. Having this hope means that even when things are bad, when things are difficult, even when it feels like the world is crumbling around us, it is that thing that gives us an opportunity to wake up the next morning and go, you know what? I still have hope of the incredible things to come. I still have hope in a, of an eternity with Jesus Christ. It allows us to see the world with a completely different perspective because we don't allow those things to tear us back down. That's what a living hope is. And even as followers of Christ, it's difficult sometimes. But I would encourage us to embrace that. And part of that is remembering remembering the magnitude of his mercy and the magnitude of the sacrifice and the crazy, <laughs> unequaled aspects of this event, this moment in time that was the greatest in human history because it brings life. Remember the exceptional Lord you serve. He is like no other. And so he can offer things that no other can. It's It gives us this hope that we have now is a glimpse of something far greater, far greater. It's an eternal inheritance. And, and I love the way Peter describes it. He says it's, it's imperishable, right? It cannot, it cannot die or come to an end. It cannot be extinguished or put out. He says it's, it's undefiled. The sins of this world, including our own, do not diminish it. Do not diminish it. It is unfading, it's glorious, and its glorious light will always shine brightly. There's nothing you can do to tarnish that. 
and it is kept in heaven other than under the love and care of the Father of all things. This is the eternal hope that leads to something, a joy that circumstances cannot extinguish. And as we finish up today, Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, 6-9, he says, You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, through per- though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you have not, though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with an inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest gift we could ever possibly be given. It is death defeated. It is strength for the weak. It is faith for the faithless. It is hope for the hopeless. It is love for those who feel unlovable. It is life. This is life in Jesus Christ. And it is being kept ready for you. All you have to do is embrace it. Are you ready? That is what resurrection is. And that is what he's offering each and every one of us who are willing to follow him. I'm going to close this in prayer. Father God, I pray that your words are heard, that your offer is seen and understood by those who need to hear it the most. I pray that you will open hearts and souls today to embrace the gift that you are offering, the gifts of salvation and resurrection. I pray that there are those listening who will have an opportunity and and the courage to set aside their fears and their concerns and allow you to embrace them, allow you to love them, allow you to bring a new living hope into their lives. I pray those of us who have discovered that living hope remember the grand nature of it, that we keep within our hearts this sense of its its just sheer magnitude and mercy and, and purpose and meaning and just everything that the resurrection means that we have so much difficulty keeping our eyes focused on sometimes. Because it is that resurrection that gives us life. And it is that resurrection that your son died for. I pray for safety and strength for those who are pursuing you. I pray for your your mighty hand to be seen upon this world. I pray for us to be shining witnesses to your glory. It is in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen and amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor. May he give you peace. God bless.